It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And welcome to Carcone Carney. I'm James Van Osdell. Coming up this Thursday, Thursday the 25th, it is the Fest for Beatles fans, which features or presents a virtual George Harrison birthday celebration. Tickets are a mere $15. A value at any price, $15. Uh, the link to get tickets is in the web post and the copy for the podcast episode. Part of this year's celebration is Joey Mulland of the legendary power pop band Badfinger. Now, Joey, I, I'm in Chicago as we're doing this. Yeah. That, that power pop blueprint that you guys helped create has been especially influential here in the Midwest of the United States. When Badfinger was getting revved up and when you came on with the band, Power Pop didn't really have a name. How would you describe what you guys were doing back then? Uh, we were just doing kind of beat group music. We were, we were trying to, I joined the band. Uh, I come out of a rock and roll rhythm and blues background. Uh, generally, that's the kind of music I like. Uh, Chuck Berry and all of that, you know, uh, beat group music, we called it in, in Liverpool. And um, that's what we were doing, really. We, we were, you know, I was trying to write beat songs, you know, because I wanted to play beat songs. I didn't want to play, you know, Well, I Loved You For A Minute. You know, I mean, I liked those kind of songs. There was nothing wrong with them. But to play, I like to play beat music, you know. So um, that's what we were all trying to do. It, it so happened that the Ivies, who'd been a beat group in Swansea when they'd started out, had kind of transitioned into a pop music group uh, when they started to write songs, you know what I mean? And they wanted to get back into that, into that beat group world, you know, because it's, I can't tell you how much fun it is to play in a beat group, you know what I mean? For people, my generation and younger generations, you're part of modern mythology. You're like a Greek god to us. You were there for, you contributed (laughs) to the foundation of modern rock and roll. So, as this interview goes, I hope you don't mind treading over some familiar territory because this is hearing these stories. Honestly, it's thrilling to us That's to, good to talk about. Them. I've been talking about this really pretty much all my life since we got successful. And uh, so I'm kind of kind of used to it. And there's always some kind of surprise, you know, that happens. I don't know what it is or how it is, but it does, you know. Well, let's start with Apple Records, the first non-Beatles band, non-Beatles artists on Apple Records. I've got to think having the Beatles halo around Badfinger was was a gift, but I'm sure that also brought a whole lot of pressure on the band. Well, yeah, it, it was a tremendous gift and a great aid to us uh, in, in getting some notoriety. Uh, all, all the bands out there, all the young guys and girls playing and singing and doing it, you know. Uh, so it's hard to get a bit of attention. Uh, the Beatles like the songs. Uh, uh, the you know Pete Arm and Tommy Evans and Ron Griffith, the bass player, uh, they were already writing songs and you know doing their bit, and um, they were just kind of getting into it really. And the Beatles liked them, liked what they heard, and signed them to Apple Records. Then the bass player left for some reason or another, and they they decided to look for a guitar player, and Tommy went on the bass. You know, he was the guitar player, really, but he went on and wanted to play bass. And so they started looking for a guitar player. I happened. I was about the 25th guy, and I got the job. And uh, 
So we, we did, we formed a little beat group and then it was called Badfinger. You know what I mean? So when, when you came on, when you came on, was it just like jumping on a moving train? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I didn't know where it was going, but, but you know, it was great. And, uh, you know, it was just exactly what I was looking for. They were really loose with me. They were free with me. They didn't, you know, come on with a bunch of rules or tell me I've got to play like this or do like that or dress like this or, you know what I mean? Um, so I just kind of fitted myself in there and, uh, I, I, you know, was able to play a little bit of guitar for them and uh, contribute, contribute a bit to the, uh, to the actual complete sound of the band. So they liked all of that. And I could write songs that already made records, you know, with another band. Not, not a lot of records, but I had already written songs and I brought that to the band with me. Um, from a beat group kind of perspective, if you like, you know? Well, it's no secret McCartney gave you a big songwriting push or gave the band a big songwriting push. Yeah. I, I get the sense that George was always your key man in the band. George, I think, eventually, from the Straight Up album onwards, for sure, was, was started to get involved with the band. I think he was a lot more involved with than I was even aware of at the time. You know, we'd made no dice, no matter what had been a big hit for us, come and get it. The Paul McCartney song was a big hit. They recorded that before I even joined, right. you know, and the bass player left before it came out. Is that weird? Is yeah, that, that weird? Huh? That's a decision you, you might, in hindsight, regret. Yeah. It, <laughs> you know, as we're talking about this Fest for Beatles fans, which is happening on Thursday, the 25th, what's your last impression? What's your lasting impression of George A as an artist and B as a as a person? We found him to be a, a, a sweet artist, a person, and he was a great artist. Uh, you, you know, he'd been with the Beatles for all those years, making all those guitar bits up, hearing the songs that they'd been writing, because uh, those two guys, McCartney and Lennon, were unbelievable, really. And when you think of that period and the number of songs and how great they were, uh, it, it was something else. So what a great time to grow up and, you know what I mean? Get all that coming down the pipe to you. So I've forgotten the question now. I'm just getting like into just that. George romance. Harrison. Yeah. So George, he was he was really nice. You know, he wasn't like a big rock star or anything. Uh, he was uh, he was the guitar player in the Beatles, the biggest band ever. But he wasn't like a god or you know anything like that. I was a big fan, a tremendous Beatles fan, and uh, so I found it very difficult to be around them, around him, and because he was a Beatle. I couldn't yeah. get over that. It wasn't like I could go, oh, he's not a Beatle, he's George Addison. You know, I couldn't think like that. He was a Beatle and he was great. When he played the guitar, he made sense on it. You know what I mean? You never really heard him go diddly, 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 diddly. You know, he always kind of, he'd play along with what was happening and he'd come up with a bit of a part for himself, you know? Well, how did he find his way into day, uh, day after day? Um, well, he was producing the record. You know, he'd heard the songs before. I think Pete had actually gone round to his house and they'd gone over songs. But um, he was producing us and he thought about the, the arrangements. We did the acoustic background uh, and the drums, uh, a little bit of bass, um, no electric guitar at all, and, uh, and no piano. Uh, and we just, we played along. 
he came up with the uh, the back and vocals, the harmony parts. The, uh, the Pete and I were playing the slide guitar in it because we both played slide and we mm. were working out, you know, parts and stuff. And George came in the studio and Astros, this kind of guy was, is it okay if I play guitar? And you said, <laughs> no, it, no, how dare okay? you? How oh, dare no, you? I did the exact opposite. I took my straps off and gave it him. <laughs> go ahead, man, go ahead, you know. And he was great. He went to work with Pete. Uh, and once he settled in, uh, that was hours went by. You know, he, he, was, he was serious about what he was doing. You know, he didn't want something nearly what he wanted, you know. He wanted what he wanted, and uh, it was great, and it's a beautiful guitar part. They did it live. Incidentally, you know, they did those guitars together. They didn't do one at a time. They played both those slide parts together, which That's is a fantastic. very difficult thing to do. You know, to play in tune, slide, it's difficult, it. man, you know. <laughs> You know, when, when we think of the four of you together, Pete Ham, Tom Evans, Mike Gibbons, you, the harmonies, just, just peak Badfinger, the, those early 70s, just an indestructible sounding band. What do you take away memory wise as you look back on that, mainly the well, hit making period of the early 70s? All of it, all of it, really, because you never forget it. You never forget making the records. And if you think about a particular song, you, you, your memory automatically kind of goes like that and opens up. Uh, the picture um, so so doing that stuff uh, we learned a lot from working with those guys we learned about uh, singing our harmonies all together not overdubbing them one at a time which is what you know we would have done uh, uh, we learned about um, you know playing those things they allowed us to work on the songs you know in the studio it wasn't like we had to have it all together you know, so we we were given an hour or two or whatever it took to work out that first backtrack. You know, two electric guitars, bass and drums in most cases, and uh, you know, rough vocal, you know. But like the drum fills were live, the bass part was live, uh, the rhythm electric guitar was usually live, you know. Um, then we'd go back and we'd overdub the leads and stuff like that. We, we all learned a lot about making rhythm guitar parts, or, you know, lead guitar parts, solos, and then harmonies, singing harmonies. And we'd work all those things out while we were working the tune out. And they were, you know, they were nice enough, Apple I'm talking about, to give us that time, no matter if we were an Olympic or Abbey Road, you know, or Apple or, you know, Trident, just one of the studios in, in London town. Um, and they're the, they're the great things I remember, like, uh, you know, playing bass on, believe me, things like that, you know, where I would normally play guitar on stuff. Uh, we'd do our acoustic tracks together, you know. It was a lot. It was great fun, man. Just great fun. We mentioned Pete, Pete Ham. How can you not? Um, Baby Blue is such an indelible song in Badfinger yeah. history, music history, which got a completely new life eight years ago as the closing song yeah, of one yeah. of the greatest TV series of all time, Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah. It was also in The Departed. What a, what a thrill it must be for you to have the song cycle back through popular culture and, and reach an entirely new audience. It is. Yeah. It really is fantastic. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, how, how does that happen? You know, we recorded the song 
four guys. We went back in and overdubbed an acoustic on it. That's all. And uh, and then the, and did the vocals, and it came out, and it's been out ever since. <laughs> ever since it has never gone away. It's been on the radio all over the world ever since it came out. I don't know what that means. I know that we had we had a great time doing it, even though Todd Runkle was the producer and he was a monster to work with. I was going to ask about that because yeah, uh, George, George started the production on the album, and then uh, did the concert for Bangladesh pull him off of that? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Okay, so Rundgren took over. I got the sense that perhaps uh, you weren't a fan of Todd back then, but. Clearly, time heals all wounds. I mean, you went you went on tour doing Beatles music with Todd yeah, yeah, not yeah. all that long ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did that two years ago. I met Todd. Uh, well, he was he was awkward to work with. He was very dominant, domineering, and he had a huge ego going along with that, you know. And, um, he was very good and very brilliant. He, you know, the album he produced and mixed and everything uh, was the biggest album we ever did. Uh, it's not necessarily the most popular with our fans, but it's the biggest album we ever did. It sold the most, had two top 10 records on it. Right. Um, yeah, he, he just took away the tapes. You know, we, we did the rest of the songs with him. He, he recorded us and did all that. And he took away the tapes and Straight Up album came back and it sounded lovely. You know, which is exactly what Apple wanted and EMI wanted and what the, what the Beatles wanted. You know, they wanted us to do like an Abbey Road record, you know, and we were, we were going to do like some kind of crude little beat crew record, you know, that's where we were at. You know? So we actually did make the record early. and we gave it some, an apple in New York said, oh, we don't like this. It's, it's too crude, man. You know, so. so hearing your description of Todd and also your description of George Harrison before it, coming off of George Harrison, who sounded like just a really laid back guy. Todd sounded, sounds like a, a shock to the system. Yeah, he is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we'd never heard of him uh, for the start. You know, he wasn't he wasn't real big in England or anything. I think he'd only had a couple of hits in America, but uh, he was known for his ears. He was known for, as a producer, as a, um, you know, an engineer kind of guy, yeah. an, an, an arranger and all that. He had all that going with him. George had met him. Uh, I think during when he met the band and all that, you know, all that Brownsville, not Brownsville, but the Bearsville. big pink. Yeah, yeah, Bearsville, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, George really liked him and recommended him highly. So we went along with it, but, but he was difficult to deal with. He really was. Thinking about George Harrison and life outside of Badfinger, uh, we talked about Concert for Bangladesh. There you were on stage with George Harrison doing Here Comes the Sun half a century ago. Can you remember <laughs> Can you remember your emotions from that performance, that moment in time? Yeah, I was in awe. I was in awe. We had the, the, the horns, you know, Jim Horn and the L.A. horns. Leon Russell playing the piano right here. <laughs> Eric Clapton playing the guitar right there. George Harrison standing next to him. Klaus Foreman and Billy Preston sitting on the opposite side of the stage. And Ringo and Jim Keltner up on the drum risers. They had a stream of background singers you wouldn't believe. You know, all of them famous people, all famous background singers or singers in their own right, lead singers, if you like. Uh, it was really exciting. Ravi was really exciting. Bob Dylan was there. Um, 
just incredible surroundings. I mean, I, you know, I was in awe, in awe of it. You know, it was amazing. I'm glad they asked Peter to play the acoustic with him on um, Here Comes the Sun. <laughs> and Peter got it together, did a great job. It's, it's funny when you go and watch the film, George doesn't look at Peter at all when he's playing the song. They, they look out that way. <laughs> it's kind of weird. And I don't think he says... Yeah, this is Peter. I'm from Badfinger. I don't think he says that. <laughs> what an interesting time. I mean, that album won the Grammy for album of the year. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I can't. And this is, you know, this is a snapshot of all these musicians, yourself included, at the peak of their powers. Uh, yeah. But I can't imagine an album like that getting a Grammy for album of the year in the present day. Just, it seemed like such a special moment back then. It was, yeah, it was, a, well, George doing it was a special thing. You know, the Beatles were kind of gone, weren't they? The Beatles were broken up. He hadn't played with anybody. Uh, he'd, he'd done the record, All Things Must Pass, My Sweet Lord. And, you know, you were, we were on that, you were on that record too. We, we'd played on that record with him. And when he was asked to do, the, do something to help those people, he didn't really know what to do. Uh, and he went to New York and talked to the, his manager, Alan Klein, I guess. And between them, they put together the idea of having that concert, big occasion, make a record, maybe make a film, and all the money could go to the children, you know, uh, which is what happened. Uh, so it was, it was just a great occasion. And when the record came out, everybody knew it was all for charity, the whole affair. Uh, and there would be a film coming out. The concerts had been great, gotten great reviews. Uh, George had just asked all the people who played on his record uh, to come and play on his on his concert. Right. You know, it was great. And everybody said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, of, of course. course. So it was just great. We went to New York, rehearsed at the Steinway building. Uh, you know, you don't forget this stuff. We went to Madison Square Garden on the Saturday to dress rehearse. And we had the whole band then. Uh, even Eric Clapton showed up that day. And... We did our sound check and we were finished waiting for the cars to come and take us back to the hotels. And uh, we're sitting there and Bob Dylan walked on stage and we were just sitting in the auditorium, you know. Bob Dylan walks up on stage with his acoustic and his harmonica on and just, you know, just the mic for himself and that and starts playing... Uh, but you know, it's all right, man. You know, it's all over now, baby. Look, uh, it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby. You know what I mean? Uh, he just stood up there and started singing the songs. So, for like 45 minutes or something, we were like, Well, that's Bob Dylan. Uh, he came in the dressing room the next day. These are the things that were happening, you know, around it, all around it was incredible, really amazing. Dylan came in the dressing room the next day. The whole band was sitting in there, all of us. And the whole band went, I mean, the whole room went quiet. You know, everybody stopped talking. Bob Wait, Dylan, you, mean, you mean like Clapton and Harrison? Were, were everybody, everybody stopped talking, yeah. Uh, everybody was, was aware of everybody else and nervous of everybody else. None of them thought they were that great. You know, George didn't think he was that great. Eric Clapton didn't walk around going, I'm the greatest guitar player in the world. He didn't think, he didn't think like that. Um, the only, <laughs> you know, like people like Billy Preston are like uh, little balls of sunshine in your life. They really are incredible. 
And he is that great. And everybody in the room knows it. You know what I mean? He's always been that great. Uh, just great like Ringo and Keltner, you know, the, the, the absolute masters of what they do. You know what I mean? Leon is the same on the piano. Jim Horn is... I watched Jim Horn play a sax solo in a song, a Badfinger song. He played it, at, I think, 12, 13 times in a row. Every solo was, was different, and every solo was great. The guy is a complete master, and that's what they like. You know, yeah. it's a, just fantastic to watch. And you and you kind of rubs off on you a little bit. You, you, sure. you learn things when you watch them doing it, um, and they talk about it, and they come over and show you the guitars that they just got, you know, that they made up with. That's what they're excited about, you know. So it's, just, it's just a fantastic thing. Yeah, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Yeah, listen, we're all starstruck by the, by the notion of the Beatles and, and Dylan and Clapton. But as we're telling these stories, I don't want to diminish how great Badfinger is. Like, I mean, you, you were you were contemporaries. You were right. You know, you're right up there, right in there. It turned out we were we were a really pretty good band. You know, we wrote the best songs we could, and and and, and recorded them as good as we could, and we had a lot of help doing that, as you know. So, thank you very much. You know, thanks very much. But. Uh, well, no buts about it. You know, the records are still on the radio. So I guess that, you know, that's that. <laughs> uh, staying on the George Harrison, staying on the, the Beatles tip for one more second. You personally played on some of the most iconic solo albums of all time. You played on the Imagine album for John Lennon. You played on All Things Must, Must Pass, which I mentioned. Uh, you were on Jealous Guy, which was never a single. For no, no, beautiful little song, though. No. I mean, you hear it in the present day, and you think oh, that's it. That's a definitive song. But back in the day, yeah, that yeah. was an al- that was an album cut. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's how good Imagine is. That was just an album track. That was a deep cut. Yeah, back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Something and then else. all things, all things must pass. You were on My Sweet Lord and What Is Life. Do you have any yeah. memories coming out of those sessions? Only uh, the George, you know, coming over to us and teaching us the song and. You know, uh, like Clapton rehearsing his bits and pieces, you know, his licks, working them out for the songs. Uh, Ringo seemed to have everything now. You know, he, he just had it. You know? So <laughs> Billy Preston was the same. Um, they just had their parts. They knew where they wanted to go with it. And, you know, Ringo would have his fills, Klaus Vorman. He'd take his, make, make the bass parts up. But they're all parts, you know. They all took the time to work out their parts. They didn't jam the music. They played the music. They made it up and then they played it, you know. So all, all, all of those things, are, 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 you know, you're in a room, I don't know, 20 by 30. And they're great. You know, they just do it. You know, you do three takes. You don't do six or eight or 10 or 15 or 20. Maybe they did win their own bands and stuff. But when we were doing that kind of work, it was like three takes. Everybody kind of got the stuff together. I think about in the present day, the way music is made, artists are congratulated for putting out albums two or three years apart from one another. I mean, back in peak Badfinger era, back in the Beatles era, it was every year. Albums were like these legendary, iconic performances. These recordings happened. It was an annual event. It's yeah, such a yeah. different time. Yeah. Because that just doesn't happen anymore. 
It's weird, isn't it? If I was, if I had a big hit record now, I'd be probably in the studio next week, uh, starting to work on a new record. Uh, we did that every time we came off the road, you know, because we'd come out, the record would come out, we'd go on the road, do like six months, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, three months in America, uh, and then, you know, the rest of the world, Europe and that. Um, and then when we got back to England, while we were away on the road, you know, you, you play the show, uh, you write songs, things happen, you get ideas when, sure. you, when you go to places. So you write songs and when you get back there, you go back into rehearsal. You know, you have a bit of time off, I suppose, but you go back into rehearsal or you, I've got an idea, what about this one? You know what I mean? So you hear the ideas and all oh, like that and they get in with you, you know what I mean? Or, you know... You just do it. It's what you do when you're in a group. Right. You know what I mean? You, you you know you don't go out dancing. You know what I mean? You you know you don't. You know and you, you find your girlfriend and you have a girlfriend and you know you do you live a normal life. You know and that's getting up and playing the guitar for a musician. Sometimes, this, you know? this is some of your uh, Liverpool work ethic, clearly. Well, you've got to work, man. You, uh, you know, nobody's going to pay your rent for you. You know, nobody's going to pay your bills. And if you want that jacket, you've got to work. <laughs> you know I mean? so, we, we talked about how your songs are still on the radio all these years later, which is a fine testament to the band. I think another fine testament is your so I mean, let's talk about Without You, which has been turned into big records for other artists. Yeah. I mean, the idea that these songs are being covered and they're exploding in other directions than you ever possibly could have imagined. Nielsen, Mariah Carey. It, that's yeah, going to yeah. be interesting to hear the, when you heard those covers for the first time. Yeah, it's, it's stunning. Uh, uh, Nielsen was, was very, very impressive. Uh, you know, he came and introduced to himself to us. He was in, in Air London and uh, he'd done the Without You song. We didn't know about it at all. had no idea. When he came to see us, he knew we were recording there. And he was mixing in the same, uh, you know, studios. We didn't know. And he came down to see us. He said, Could, do me a favor, come and listen to this mix we've just done. We've been mixing it for hours and, and we can't tell anymore if it's right, you know. Thing. So, And that's what happens when you're mixing, you know. You know for that. Sure. Uh, you get tired, your ears get tired. So we went down there with him. Great, you know, it's a great honor, isn't it? Harry Nielsen coming and asking you to go and listen. So we went down there. And he played without you two, <laughs> and of course it was it was it was you know it was his version was great. We did a little kind of bluesy nothing version of it. Uh, our manager, you know, he'd been telling us Bill Collins, our personal manager, not the crook, but Bill. Right. He he'd been telling us he'd been telling us for years since we'd done without you that we should do a big version of it. You know, with an orchestra and everything, yeah. and do do a big number on it. You know. And uh, we would all, Pete would always say, Pete would always say this, we're not that kind of band. We don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> so we never did it like that. And, and Nielsen got the grand. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, the, the tragedies of the band are well documented. And yeah, they, I, yeah. mental health is a topic that we keep coming back to during the pandemic. And it's important to, to keep the conversation going. And uh, we all know the story about how Pete and Tom killed themselves many years ago. I don't want to rehash that, but as someone who has experienced the suicide deaths of two bandmates, what do you say to people who are listening or, or watching right now who might be struggling? We're in this weird time where you know, things are just harder. What do you say to yeah. someone who's, who's wrestling with mental health issues? 
I feel for you. I really feel for you. I've had a bit of depression myself. I'm not a depressive person, but I've had my periods when I when I felt uh, felt bad, you know. And yeah, yeah, you want to shut down, uh, but just bear with it, you know. Bear with it. You've got to bear with it. You know what I mean? We're all with you. I mean it. We're all with you. Uh, and I think nowadays maybe there's a bit more understanding about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so stick with it. Stick with it. Just that one more day. You know, just one more day. It's only a day. It's only, a, you know what I mean? You could do it tomorrow. You know, one more day, you know, stay with it. You've only got to live that one more day at a time. If you believe that, the Lord's going to be with you, you know. You've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose, you know. Thank you for that. Looking ahead to where you're at, I mean, we, we talked about this. You're virtually going to be part of the Fest for Beatles fans on Thursday. Tickets are 15 bucks. The link is in, in the podcast and the, the video text. Uh, you're, you're still doing solo stuff. You're, you're working on stuff. I mean, I, I think you just broke away for a couple minutes to chat with me, but you're busy, right? Yeah, I do things. Yeah, I actually put a new record out. came out in October. Got great reviews all over the world, and it's... It's kind of selling out here long. It's not, I don't know how records sell nowadays. So uh, it's selling a few here, a few there. Um, you know, a radio station in New York uh, voted the album of the year or put it in their top 10 albums of the year. Um, it was great fun, Mark Hudson produced it. So oh, I am, yeah, it's, it's just great. You know, and all these guys came and played. It was lovely. Mickey Dolans came and sang with it. Uh, Jason Sheff. He's the lead singer in Chicago, or he was yeah. now, he's not anymore. And um, Julian Lennon came for crying out loud uh, and, and sang with us. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, Steve Holly played drums for us. It was lovely, man. Uh, making a record is a fantastic thing to do. Uh, I'll make another one if I get the chance. It'll probably be different than this one. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, you write your songs and uh, and you get to work with great people. I love it. So I do that all the time. And when I'm not doing myself, I, I, you know, I like to work with other musicians. You know, I'm doing a fellow named Brian Gentry's right now. Uh, we've got seven songs done and we're going to do 10. And uh, and then he's going to put it out as his album. And uh, I think it's sounding really pretty good. It's, it's coming to life and the songs are working. And Brian's a beautiful cat. So what are you going to do, you know? I think that's awesome. And, you know, we love you here in Chicago and we get to see you virtually uh, yeah. as part of the Fest for Beatles fans, a virtual George Harrison birthday celebration. That is Thursday. Tickets are 15 bucks. Uh, I, I should mention some of the other people who will be there. Peter Asher of Peter and Gordon, uh, Klaus Vorman, the guy who Vorman, who did the uh, revolver cover. Uh, yeah. Billy J. Kramer, British invasion guy. Right on. Yeah. And uh, our, a locally beloved disc jockey, Terry Hummert, will be doing some of the hosting job. Ah, ah. She, she's a fantastic human being, too. Uh, like I said, we love you. Thank you so much for doing this, Joey. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for Chicago. I love it. There. Uh, I'll come there and play there. I've been playing there for the last 40 years. Uh, uh, I come through and play the, play the gigs, play the little ones and the big ones. And, and uh, I have a great time. I have a, just a great time. It's a great city. Great guitar shops. <laughs> That's true. Just, just great artists. You know, the chess studios there. Mm -hmm. uh, just to go down there and hear, oh, at last, you know that song? Uh, what was the girl's name? Um, Is that Etta James? Etta James, yeah. yeah. They play it to you in the studio, you know, in the, in the actual studio, not the control room. 
Oh, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. See, um, this is something that bugs me. I think that Chess Studio should be a bigger landmark in Chicago. It's kind of like a footnote when you're driving by in the city. It should be, I mean, when you pass Sun Records in Memphis, you know that Sun Records. I feel like Chess needs, this is my soapbox, Chess yeah, yeah. needs a, gra- a greater spotlight on it because, I mean, I, the Rolling Stones, when they first came to America, that's the first place they wanted to go to was Chess yeah, Records. And yeah. It, the influence and shadow of that, that studio and that label, I mean, insane. It's a heck of a thing you got, isn't it? It is. You, you got it then, then, you know? So all right, for, to plan ahead for your next visit to Chicago, I want you to eat light because okay. we're, we're going we're gonna to fatten you up when you come here. That's what we okay. do for, okay, for, sounds, for sounds business in me. Chicago. All right, sounds, good. We're going to feed you well. You know, my son, Sean, Sean lives in Chicago. Oh, really? Okay. So you, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know how we eat here. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a cook. <laughs> oh, there he, oh, yeah. You definitely know. <laughs> well, hey, thank you very much for having me. And, uh, have a listen to my new record. You might like it. And um, it's called Be True to Yourself. Um, it's great, man. Life is good.